Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm the very wet hair of the Underfaker. And I am the lonely A in all of Jeff Jarrett's double letters. Aww. Welcome to episode 130, SummerSlam 1994. So hot, it's scary. scary. We, we did that weird, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't Halloween Havoc. <laughs> but it's scary. It's fucking hot out. It is scary. I mean, we know uh, what's going to headline this show. Pretty spooky if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Supernatural shit and stuff. This was the seventh SummerSlam produced by the WWF. It would take place on August 29th, 1994 from the United Center in Chicago, Illinois, with an attendance of 23,000 people and a buy rate of 300,000. Nice. That's a lot of people. This was also the first event to ever be held at the United Center. Oh yeah, they put that over pretty early. The brand new, beautiful United Center, home of the Chicago Bulls. And Chicago Blackhawks. And the who were the Blackhawks? Hockey team. Okay. That's where they still play today. Oh, okay, that's so. cool. Do the Bulls not play there anymore? Yeah, the Bulls still play okay. there. Yeah, okay, both, both teams still play there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's been quite a while. 94 was a while ago. You know, how long does an arena last these days? Not usually this long. Not that long. So it's impressive that it's still there. That's right. They're due for uh, an upgrade. But we're in Chicago. We are. Shane, what did you bring us this week? Well, it's SummerSlam. And it's summertime right now. It's hot. It's hot as fuck outside. And we're hanging in the end of July to break... I guess not cave because we don't... Be crazy if we only watched covered the shows whenever the date they actually came out was, but that'd be silly. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a a long delay. Uh, yeah. I figured we'd go for uh, a nice little cool beverage because it's scary hot outside right now, and my other option would have melted on the way over here. So, <laughs> yeah, Chicago looked it up. What's uh the official drink of Illinois? I should say official cocktail, and it was listed as the old-fashioned. Uh, no, I'm it guessing. Was I don't know. Listed I know this as the JGL or JGNL, which stands for Jameson Ginger Ale and Lime. Jason gets Joseph Gordon and Levitt. Yeah, Jay, that's what I meant. There Jason, Jason Jordan, <laughs> Jason, <laughs> Jason Gordon Jordan. and Levitt. Uh huh. Yes, Honky Brutus Man. Same thing. We, uh, I decided to mix it up a little bit differently uh, because I can't just leave things as they're supposed to be. So, don't know if it made Get it better. File. Don't know <laughs> if it made it worse. But, but we you made know, it. This lonely A decided to add some uh, vanilla ice cream to it and shake it up just so we could have this kiss of vanilla with our ginger and lime and uh, Irish whiskey. It's not terrible. It's like a, it's, it's like a, a mild key lime pie type of flavor. But what all we got in here? We have some Jameson, we have some ginger ale, we have a scoop of vanilla ice cream, and a squeeze of lime, and then I just shook the shit out of it in a little cocktail strainer, 
poured it into glass over ice, and then add a little more uh, ginger ale to it because it was very limey. It looks like uh, horchata. Kind of does. And it tastes kind of like a key lime pie. Have you decided if you like it yet? I don't, I don't hate it. <laughs> yeah, I don't um, think it's bad. I think that the vanilla thing is the what is like just kind of confusing. Yeah. But it's yeah. not bad. Uh, I yeah, guess I had yeah. ice cream and I'm on the brain for Chicago, so I had to add that little. Oh yeah, no. Dollop. It's it's worth a try. Yeah, for sure. By, by, de- definitely, it's yeah. worth a try. Have you ever had a Colorado Bulldog? Yes, that was my very first cocktail. Uh, which is a white Russian, but with Coca-Cola, a splash of Coca-Cola. Yep. Sounds weird, but it's not bad. But, I mean, it's also one of those things, like, how often are you drinking white Russians? <laughs> are you okay? Well, I mean, I guess, how often is Shane drinking yeah, white Russians? Yeah, I'm the weird guy that on, like, St. Patrick's Day will go out, everybody wants green beer. I don't want green beer. I want them to do something special because I'm extra like that. So I ask for green Russians, and they make <laughs> me green painted, Russians. You beautiful pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> hey. They got, they got, they got. You know, they got it. Uh, the green food color in in the pocket. Exactly, it's there, it's there that day. That's what I kept telling them the first time they looked at me crazy when I asked for it. It's like if you can add a drop of green food coloring to a yeah. beer, you can add a drop of it to my little milky yeah. drink here. I'll tip you well, don't worry and about my it. My milky drink is a whole lot more than you're charging for that weak ass shitty beer. So <laughs> yeah, for a Bud Light. Let me have what I want. With cancer in it. But while we're still enjoying these delicious drinks, a couple of albums would be released oh a couple God. of weeks later. <laughs> Blues Travelers 4. It's hard and to say. Notorious B.I.G.'s debut album, Ready to Die. Oh my god. I love four, but I've listened like a, maybe a couple months ago, but I've, it's still been a go-to. I've been on a big Just Ready to Die kick because the album is perfect, minus the skits of him having sex or blowjob <laughs> sounds, which are just not very fun to listen to. But you just skip those. But I you listen to those with your parents around. Right? Yeah, you turn them up when you're uh, when you're driving with your uh, windows down. Oh yeah. yeah, but yeah, I fucking love Ready to Die so much. I uh, love Notorious B.I.G. and uh, one of my favorite lyrics on the whole album, which is a pretty brave thing to say in a hip hop album from '94, is uh, "You look so good, I'd suck your daddy's dick." Which is a pretty brave thing to say in a hip-hop song in 1994, for sure. It catches everybody off guard, and it makes me laugh so hard, the whole thing. But my favorite rhyme probably on the whole album is uh, how you feel in Biggie, or how you live in Biggie Smalls in mansions and Benzes, giving ins to my friends, and it feels stupendous, which is wonderful. Fuck a dollar in a dream. There's just, I, the album is perfect. Love it when you call me Big Pop. I just, yeah, Ready to Die, as much as I love 4, and it was an album that was important to me as a kid, just was in the house, I definitely didn't have this album in 94. I had Blues Traveler album. Yeah, I did. I did not have Ready to Die, but I've been on a big Ready to Die kick, uh, specifically uh, this year, where I would just be like, I guess I'm just going to listen to Ready to Die four times today. (laughs) Like, so, I got excited when I just looked down at these notes. Runaround is definitely one of my favorite songs to do for uh, karaoke. You don't. You can't hang with the scat part in the hook. It's tough. Yeah, it's a uh, pretty awesome though. The hook is. It's a great song and it's a fun concept done well. Yes. Also, I always had a crush on the Dorothy girl from the other video. Was like, even as a kid. <laughs> like, the other video. Uh, for the, not the hook, but the uh, run around. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, what other songs are on that one? I got Those are the now. two singles. Yeah, hook and run around with the singles on okay. four and 
Juicy and Big Papa are the singles on Ready to Die. Okay. Yeah. So then, yeah. Making sure I wasn't forgetting any other songs, because Run Around and Hook were the only ones I could think of. And I mean, there's other songs on that album that are great. I mean, the entire album's really good. But those, yeah. Those are the two that you're going to... You're gonna blast on your. Uh, we got Big your... Papa and Big Popper all at the same oh, day. Oh my gosh! Good Ew. on you. Yeah, two uh, two thick kings. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if John's as thick these days. I know he's no, slimmed he's down. Not. You know what my favorite thing about him was was uh, he had a heart attack like while masturbating, and that's when he was finally like, "Fuck, I gotta lose some weight. I can't even jack off," <laughs> <laughs> which is disgusting and awesome. <laughs> Uh, so you can cut that if you need well, to. Well, we've got that. <laughs> we've got that explicit rating for this one. Uh, give it a big old E. <laughs> well, let's move on to SummerSlam. The logo comes flying on the screen before we get a shot of the crowd, and Macho Man Randy Savage's music hits. Pomp. And he welcomes everyone to the show. He walks over to Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler, who are our commentators for the evening. Savage then gets in the ring to pose for the fans while the King lets us know that Shawn Michaels and Diesel had beaten the Head Shrinkers the night before for the Tag Team Championships. And then McMahon and Lawler continue to preview the matches of the show. And we head to our first match. The Million Dollar Corporation of Erwin R. Scheister and Bam Bam Bigelow with the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase Versus the head shrinkers of Fatu and Samu with Afa and Captain Lou Albano. Quick question. Is Bam Bam here now just because Luna uh, is partying with, um, like, Bull Nakano? How did he get into the Million Dollar Corporation? Ted DiBiase bought his contract. Oh, I guess mm-hmm. that's obvious. I don't know why I even asked. But I'm just <laughs> curious why he was, him and Luna was a fun, was fun. I liked it. IRS and Bam Bam is a weird... off doing her thing in the yeah, women's division. Yeah, it's cool. I appreciate that. But yeah. she can do double duty. She's a badass. IRS and Bam Bam is just like... They don't necessarily look the best next to each other. No. But it's all good. We, I like them both. Skinhead. Do anything for the money, though. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Everybody's got a price. Bam. Bam. So, obviously, like I just said, the head trainers lost the titles the night before. So this was actually supposed to be for that championship... But, yeah. Things happen. Sorry, boys. Yeah, I'm sure DiBiase wasn't too happy. You got all dressed up and you didn't even have titles to defend. So Bam Bam and Fatu trade power moves until Bigelow charges into a turnbuckle before eating a thrust kick for a two count. Fatu goes for a body slam, but the Bammer is too heavy and falls on top of the head shrinker for a near fall, followed by an insiguri and heading up top, only to miss the top rope headbutt. Fatu hits a vicious clothesline. Double team thrust kick by the head shrinkers for a two count. Samu then gets taken down by a back elbow, allowing IRS to tag in, only to be body slammed, hip tossed, and kicked down to the mat for a near fall. Don't forget all the savat kicks. Samu goes for a running crossbody, but Shyster ducks and tries for one of his own, only for Samu to duck, which sends IRS flying out to the floor. Take that, tax man. Damn right. Fatu slams Erwin's head into the still steps before rolling him back into the ring, where Samu delivers a headbutt for a two count. Double team chopped by the head shrinkers, but a reversed Irish whip sends Fatu running the ropes, only for Bigelow to yank down to send the Samoan 
crashing out to the floor. Bam Bam's working over Fatu on the outside, slamming his head on IRS's briefcase before rolling the Samoan back in. Not the briefcase. The Million Dollar Corporation continues the punishment until Fatu and the Bammer run into each other for the double KO. Fatu crawls to his corner for the hot tag. Samu's in with back body drops and headbutts on the Million Dollar Corporation. Scoop slam and a middle rope headbutt on Shyster. Makes the cover, only for Bigelow to make the save. So Samu tosses him out to the floor. The crowd of 22,000 people is hot already. I mean, you know, you can always count on the head shrinkers. The head shrinkers with a double headbutt. Double Russian leg sweeps. Fatu heads up top, leaping over Samu with a splash. Makes the cover, but DiBiase is on the apron, arguing with the ref. While Bam Bam pulls Samu out of the ring and slams his head against the steel steps. Bigelow then jumps in the ring and breaks up the cover. While Albano is now on the apron, where he gets knocked off. So Afa jumps in the ring and delivers a headbutt and a big right hand as the bell rings. On that hand up, good too. All three Samoans continue the punishment with thrust kicks and a triple headbutt and start brawling with the Million Dollar Corporation in the aisle with officials trying to break it up. So the official announcement was the Million Dollar Corporation by disqualification. Tisk tisk tisk. Yeah, solid solid tag to start this show. I had no problem with it. No, no. it's totally totally fine. Not a bummer. Those head shrinkers, you know, are just on a a downward spiral. They get beat by Big Daddy Cool and HBK one day, and then a couple days later, they're getting taken out by the yeah. Million Dollar Corporation. They're solid hands, and one of them makes his way pretty far oh, yeah. <laughs> into the company. Vince McMahon then tells us that Leslie Nielsen is here uh, to find The Undertaker. Oh my god, what's crazy is, you know how funny the Naked Gun films are? The first one? All, all three of them have good jokes. Funny. They're all very funny. Like even, even the third one has a lot of good jokes in it, even though it's not the best of the movies, because it's the third one. It's impossible to yeah. be the best one. But, uh, but it's the one that's most memorable. Yeah, because... Uh, well, I guess, is OJ in all three of them? Yes. Yeah. But uh, anyway, this is Leslie Nielsen is never funny throughout this whole show. No. Him or um, George Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. It's wild that they didn't write a joke for any of this. Well, they wrote jokes. They didn't happen. They're just not funny. I, I guess they just were like, oh, I don't. It's crazy. It's really weird to me. Yeah, basically. I expected to like chuckle at least once. There's these skits. Thankfully, they. I, I literally thought they were going to be between every single match. There's only like three of them. Yeah. So thankfully, it's it's not that many. Each one's dollar the day. <laughs> but each one, yes, each one. Back. I, no, actually, the very last, the very last one, is the one that made me chuckle the most. Because it was so bad. Yeah, but, <laughs> but it was still it was still for, the best of the bunch. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So yeah. basically, they're all naked gun style skits with Leslie finding the Undertaker trail. There's signs on the wall as he's going down the. Always. Not on the trail. Yeah. I and some yeah. security guards walk up and ask him for some ID. It's dumb. And then he turns a corner and thinks he found The Undertaker, but it's just his partner, George Kennedy, who was his co-star in the Naked Gun films. You'd think he'd be able to recognize uh, his friend and co-worker. Yeah. You would think so. But it is less than this. <laughs> yes. Yeah, leading up to SummerSlam, they did little... 
on Raw or Superstars, whatever they do. I have do to imagine they were better. Not really. <laughs> I mean, it was the same stupidity. Yeah, I think and they I, put I all like, their focus into the movie. I, I, well, yeah, I was obviously. Like, did the movie just come out? But actually, it was literally coming out on VHS by the time SummerSlam was coming out. I mean, out. I guess VHS was huge in 94. Yeah, I mean, it was. I'm not saying. But still, yeah, still, it's like, oh, well, isn't this VHS a promotion? was huge, but... Naked Gun 33 and a third, or whatever part they were on by this time. <laughs> yeah, it was 33 and a third. Yeah, that that one wasn't. Also, um, a huge. Like, success. yeah, like when even when WCW did Capital Combat with RoboCop, at least it was like RoboCop three or two. Two. I think it was two. two. Yeah, it was two was coming out or whatever, and it's like okay, well, at least it's to promote um, the movie, not it's released to tape. Yeah. Instead, they just had bad humor to go along with a bad angle. Not really a bad angle. Not Leslie Nielsen's best work. No. Maybe his worst. We then go to our second match. Bull Nakano with Luna Vachon versus Alundra Blaze for the WWF Women's Championship. Bull Nakano out with, like, nunchucks and pirate gear. Mm-hmm. Pretty sick. And those big old bangs. Oh, yeah. Some young girls come into the ring, and they give both competitors flowers. But Luna takes Nakano's. And smashes them across the back of Alundra. <laughs> which really just means that Blaze then had two sets of flowers because they did absolutely nothing. Nah, I mean, so, maybe they got some thorns on them, but they might have been right. Really so she know. takes, uh, Alundra takes them out to the crowd and gives them to some some fans. Face it up. Yeah. Back in the ring, Alundra extends a hand for the handshake, but Bull just kicks her and delivers a clothesline. Hell yeah. Nakano goes for a power bomb, only for Blaze to float over and hit a drop kick. Goes for a second one, but Bull sidesteps and shoves Alundra to the mat. And we had a count out the last time we saw these two, just to put that out there. Yes. Which we saw on yes, the Raw. Yes, we did. Yeah. It was great. Nakano, with hair tosses, slamming her down, kicks, clotheslines, before hitting a leg drop for a two count. After some more punishment, Blaze comes back with a hurricanrana for a near fall. Hits a roundhouse kick, but misses a second attempt, which allows Bull to choke Alundra before turning her over into a Boston Crab, which Blaze then makes it to the ropes to break the hold. USA! USA! Nakano pulls Alundra back to the middle and applies a Scorpion Crosslock, which is a sharpshooter combined with a double chicken wing. I saw this move and I was like... Why is no one doing this move? This is a fucking cool ass move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not everybody's uh, not everybody's trained in Japan. I don't know what to say. What was her name? Beth Phoenix. Did she do something like that? I'm trying to remember. If she had that. I don't, in her to say, I don't know if I've seen that many Beth Phoenix matches. Yeah, I think she may have done something similar to that move. I know one of the girls or the women from that time did. It's either Beth or shortly after her. I know AJ Lee did one little weird wraparound thing that that move reminded me of. I know it wasn't the same move, but I wish to do it because it's badass. Yeah, it's a cool move. But the ref forces her to release it as she is hold of the hair. Bull rakes Blaze's eyes across the ropes, which again the ref intervenes, which allows Luna to deliver some punishment of her own. Only for Alundra to cradle up Nakano for a two count on a body slam attempt. Bull is right back on Blaze with a cross arm breaker, or a wrist lock, if you ask Vince. <laughs> but Alundra fights her way back with several sling blades for a near fall. Blaze goes for a pile driver, 
only for Nakano to reverse it into a back body drop and a body slam. I love that people are into it because it's good. Because sometimes, like, there's a women's match that's, like, fine or whatever, and people are like, piss, break. But they had they guys, they these two had a great match on Raw. I assume that these fans saw it. And uh, even if they didn't, this thing starts quick, and uh, they're doing it. Nakano makes a cover, but Alundra bridges out. Blaze then misses a clothesline, but Bull doesn't, tossing Alundra to the corner where Blaze leaps up and over a charging Nakano. Pulls Bull over with a backslide for a two count. It's a big lady to backslide. Alundra tries for a Huracurana, only for Nakano to powerbomb her down to the mat. Follow up with a body slam and heads up top, coming mm. off with a leg drop, but Blaze moves. Bashan then jumps up on the apron, so Alundra kicks her off before grabbing Bull for a bridging German suplex. For the pin, and, and the, the win. Sick. I mean, anything that ends in a bridge German suplex probably means that it was uh, at least decent before it got to that point. And uh, this was a little bit more than decent. And I love the fact that we got a full Alundra slash Medusa match. Because for the longest time, we've been given two minutes of nothing yep. or a bikini contest or... You know, yeah, the one that she had on Raw. It was they good. They got started, but, but it was quick and yeah. then ended in a... They got like six minutes or whatever, maybe probably less. Here they they got nine or ten, maybe. Yeah, I don't know how long this was. About nine minutes. But sure. like, felt like a full match. Yeah. yeah. The only thing I don't like is that, per usual, when they have somebody they're trying to make into a big star, they have to put them in red and yellow or something like that. <laughs> and You don't like the flame, flame I know stuff? she's got like blaze in her name, but... I like it. You don't it, like looked, her. it looked good on her, but I just wish that they would find a, a new color pattern. Because, I mean, they did the same thing with Ronda Rousey a couple years ago. It's the Hogan colors. It's the Roddy Piper pa- colors. Yeah, but Ronda's whole thing was like, I like Roddy Piper, so yeah, I want to dress like Roddy Ronda. Piper. Yeah. And she's, and you know, she's Ronda Rousey, so she probably gets to pick. We go to the back, and Todd Pettengill is there with the WWF Tag Team Champions. Oh, Todd Diesel and Shawn Michaels. And HBK says, between the two of us, we have held the IC titles for the past two years. Remember, because Razor was the interim IC champion. Yes. So we got to thinking, and we decided to go out and become tag champs. Diesel says he's the bad guy, but maybe my moniker should be Midas, because everything I touch turns to gold. Oh, look at old daddy two belts. Todd tells us that Walter Payton is going to be in Ramon's corner. But Sean says that when we are done with them, they will be oh so bitter. So we head to our third match. Diesel with Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon with Walter Payton for the WWF Intercontinental Championship. Champion out first. Foreshadowing. Also, who's Walter Payton? He's a football player. Of Hall the Chicago fame Bears. Football player for the Chicago Bears. At this point, he's not in the Hall of Fame, right? Like, he's still currently playing? No, he's probably in the Hall of Fame okay. by now. He, he's not playing. In- and he's like, is he like a running back or something? Yeah. Okay, because like, he, I was like, oh, this is a guy who's he's pretty of, small. <laughs> he's one of the best running backs to ever play the game. Oh, really? I mean, I don't know a whole lot about football, but uh, I, when I saw him, I was like, well, he's not a, he's probably fast because <laughs> he's, he's not very big. The bad guy tosses his toothpick at Diesel, which pisses him off. So Big Daddy Cool goes for a clothesline. 
only for Ramon to duck and deliver right hands all around the ring, sending Diesel to the floor to regroup. Also, Diesel is so big that he makes Razor Ramon look not as big. Mm-hmm. I always forget how much, because you don't, I haven't, we haven't really seen him stand next to each other in the ring until now, and it's like, holy shit, like, Diesel is fucking huge, but he's not as hot as Razor Ramon. <laughs> not an ugly man, but uh, not everybody gets to look like Scott Hall in his prime. Back into the ring, Big Daddy Cool delivers a knee lift and forearms across the small of the back. Until Razor fires back with right hands, only for Diesel to take him down with a clothesline. Big Daddy Cool goes for a big boot, but the bad guy ducks and hits multiple clotheslines of his own, only to then charge into a back elbow in the corner. Diesel chokes with his boot in the corner, face plants Ramon, and applies a sleeper, but Razor escapes with a back suplex. Bad guy charging at Big Daddy Cool, only for him to sidestep and toss Ramon over the ropes to the floor, which allows Sean to untie a turnbuckle pad while everyone checks on Razor. Peyton starts stalking Michaels around ringside until the ref gets between them. So HPK runs around to hit a leaping clothesline on the bad guy. It's perfect. Textbook Michaels. Looks great. Back into the ring after a nine count. Diesel continues the assault with several back elbows. Goes to whip Ramon into the exposed turnbuckle. But Walter has pointed it out to the ref. So So the ref jumps on the ropes to block the attempt. It rules. I loved it. I was like, where are you? Who are you, Hebner? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he, he, he norm, yeah, normally it's because the ref didn't see it. He's trying to keep it, keep it clean. Michaels jumps on the apron to complain, which allows Big Daddy Cool to go ahead and send Razor into the buckle back first. Following it up. the back. Smart. Following it up with a side slam for a two count. What if Hebner only missed stuff for Hogan? <laughs> Most people only do things because it's for Hogan. <laughs> Diesel hits snake eyes, chokes around the ropes, a body guillotine, and an elbow drop for a near fall. Big Daddy Cool continues to work over the back of the bad guy, but Razor fires up, only to run into a big boot for the pin, and no, no, Ramon gets his boot on the ropes. Diesel locks on an ab stretch, using the ropes for leverage until he's caught. So Big Daddy Cool just goes back to shots across the back. Only for the bad guy to counter into an ab stretch of his own. Which Diesel quickly hip tosses out of. Makes sense. Because Diesel's bigger than he is. I mean this has Shawn Michaels just written all over it. Big Daddy Cool goes for another snake eyes. But Ramon escapes out the back. Sending Diesel into the exposed steel. (gasps) And cradling him up for a two count. I thought that was it. It's exciting. Knee, knee lift from Razor, ducks a roundhouse, and firing up with the right hands of his own. He charges into the corner, but ends up sliding to the floor, where he trips up Big Daddy Cool and yanks his hubcaps first into the ring post. Posted. The bad guy comes off the middle rope with a bulldog for a near fall. Body slam for a two count, and HBK jumps on the apron, only to receive a right hand that sends him flying into the guardrail. He really goes for it. <laughs> he like bounced off that thing. <laughs> yep. Diesel's up and attacks from behind. Goes for another roundhouse, which Ramon ducks, picking Big Daddy Cool up and placing him on the top rope. Following up the ropes for a super back suplex, but he receives a back elbow that knocks him down to the mat. Diesel calls for the powerbomb, 
only for the bad guy to back body drop out of it. Ramon then calls for the razor's edge, but again, Sean jumps on the apron, which distracts the bad guy, allowing Big Daddy Cool to hit him from behind. Ramon is tossed the ropes, and both men come back with the shoulder box for a double KO. HBK goes to grab the IC belt, but Peyton is there, and they have a tug of war with the title when the ref gets out of the ring to take the belt away. So this allows Michaels to get into the ring and goes for a super kick on a held razor. But the bad guy ducks, causing Diesel to take the shot. <sighs> Pop City, baby. Walter's stalking after Sean around ringside while the ref is trying to slow him down to no avail. HBK tries to get into the ring to stop Ramon from crawling on top of Big Daddy Cool. But Peyton just pulls him out of the ring while the ref returns inside as Razor makes the cover for the pin and, and the, the win. win. And new! Post-match, Sean and Diesel head to the back with Big Daddy Cool yelling at Michaels. Uh-oh. I mean, that was fucking great. It almost felt like Shawn Michaels was in the ring. I was like, is Shawn Michaels the best performer of this match? <laughs> These guys, they nailed, they what, they, really nailed what they did, but it just felt like Sean was in the ring because it feels like he should always he, be in the ring. Well, yeah, but it feels <laughs> it feels like a match that he would have. You know, I learned, you know what I mean? It feels yeah. like he probably agented the match or whatever. These guys didn't do set this match up by themselves. I don't believe that. No. We get Macho Man out in the crowd and basically recaps what we just saw before giving his congrats to the bad guy for his win. We then go to Todd Pettengill in the back, and he says his congratulations to Ramon as well, before introducing Lex Luger and Tatanka. But before they do anything, they have to get the answer from the hotline poll, did Lex Luger sell out to the million dollar man? Survey says... 54% say yes. But Luger says polls don't matter, but the Native American cuts him off and says the people can't be wrong. Tatanka starts going over instances of when Lex had sold out as we start getting highlights of those moments. On a King's Court, DiBiase said it was a done deal. How about when Million Dollar Man came out and watched your match? How about on Heartbreak Hotel, you were on a first-name basis with Ted? Is that a case of selling out? You just know the first name. His name is Ted DiBiase. If he was only the Million Dollar Man, and his like real name is Ted DiBiase, and it's not ever presented on television, and then he calls him Ted, that's one thing. But because nobody believes him, and his name is the Million Dollar Man, but he's always been Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, or the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. You walk up to him and you call him MDM. I'm gonna think something's up. But you just (laughs) say, "Hey, Ted." Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, what are you gonna call him, Millie? Tatanka continues with, How about when I come back from my match, where did I find you? In the Million Dollar Man's dressing room. DiBiase then conveniently helps you win a match against Crush. And then today, everyone saw it. Million Dollar Man coming into your dressing room with a red, white, and blue bag. What was in the bag? Plenty of money. What's in the bag? Lex then responds with, He can show all the footage he wants. He can say all those things. But I know what the truth is. And I didn't sell out. Lex says it's a free country, man. Chill. So we head to our fourth match. 
Tatanka versus Lex Luger. The two men are walking around the ring with the ref calling for the bell, but it just never comes for what seems like forever. I will say, the sellout thing, is that like a low-key stab at Hogan? <laughs> but I guess, I mean, I don't know, just like a, a quick thought I had. But, uh, but at the same time... I think it just involves the million dollars. At the same time, it's like, do, money, you even, so. do you even need to make any stabs at Hogan? <laughs> it's pointless. The two men get into each other's face with the ref trying to break it up. They then lock up multiple times with no one gaining an advantage. Until Tatanka grabs an arm lock and chops across the shoulder before ducking a clothesline and hitting a crossbody for a two count. Body slam attempt by the Native American only for Luger to cradle him up for a near fall. The two start trading right hands and chops. Lex with a hip toss and a vertical suplex for a two count. Leaping elbow drop by Luger, only for Tatanka to avoid and hit a power slam for a near fall. The Native American starts up the war dance, delivering multiple chops, vertical suplex, and then comes off the top with a chop. Body slam goes up top again, only for Lex to move out of the way and start hitting several running clotheslines. Down the aisle comes the million dollar man. With bag in hand. As Luger hits a power slam. Lex sees him as DiBiase holds out a handful of money, allowing Tatanka to cradle up Luger for the pin and, and the win. Lex is pissed. Post-match. As you said, he's angry. <laughs> Going after the Million Dollar Man. Kicking the bag and money out of Ted's hands. Oh, some uh, Andre vibes. <laughs> but then the Native American attacks from behind, hitting mini chops and fall-away slams. I love that they're $10 bills. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's just the funniest bill. Yeah. <laughs> Tatanka then hugs DiBiase <gasps> before Million Dollar Man yells at McMahon. That they fooled everyone. USA. USA. I have to ask Shane. Yeah? Did they fool everyone? No. Well, you were like 17 at the time, right? Yeah. He was watching weekly. Smart guy. You've been watching wrestling for a while. You knew what was up. Yeah. You knew that Lex wouldn't sell out. I knew when the Rockers were breaking up because of a gap in their entrance. Shawn Michaels stopped to talk to a woman while Marty ran to the ring, and I knew something's weird here. They've never, ever, ever done that before, and then they broke up soon after. So, yeah, I could tell something was going on. They were making Tatanka into too much of a big deal, and we've all seen he's not that big of a deal. Yeah, for me, it was when they finally, because I just saw the package before I didn't, we didn't, I didn't watch the shows no. leading up to this, but... About the fifth or sixth time Tatanka said sold out before they started the match, I was like, all right, dog. If you're trying too hard, he I think I got an idea. Hair. What? He had heel hair. <laughs> Where it's like, oh, I don't really know what the hell he was doing with it this time. It was like... He looked different and also shorter. and poofy and dark up here, but yeah. still wet looking. And then he had the wet bangs in front. It so didn't it look made good. him look like he had just you know, crawled out of a, a sewer or something. Ew. <laughs> Tonka, what are you doing in the sewer? Stay out the cistern, brother. We then go to the back, and Gorilla Monsoon's there on the hotline. Oh, I love Gorilla. I hate that he's there. I hate call, that he's on the phone. He calls Tatanka a disgrace to all Native Americans. Mm. Uh, yeah, and name drops, of course, Chief J. Strongbow, everyone's favorite Italian Native American. Yeah. So we then go to our fifth match. Jeff Jarrett versus Mabel with Oscar. 
The crowd seems to love an Oscar rap. Oh, yeah. Waving their hands like they just don't care. Oh, man. It's hard to just not care about Mabel. (laughs) Mabel reaches out for a handshake, but Double J denies him. So they lock up with Mabel shoving Jarrett off to the corner, charging in with a clothesline, only for Jeff to duck and do some strutting. Double J continues to just be thrown around the ring, avoiding a big boot, only to be double choke lifted. Mabel continues with an elbow drop, body slam, and a clothesline to send Jarrett to the outside. I love it, Jerry. Uh, Waller says that Mabel reminds him of Barney, which is not very nice and very funny. Oscar is taunting Jeff on the outside, so Double J shoves him off into the still steps, trips up Mabel, and heads up to the middle rope, coming off with a falling fist. Jarrett, with multiple second rope double axe handles, goes up top for another axe handle, only to be caught by Mabel, but a rake of the eyes helps him escape, followed by a right hand, which wakes up the big man. Double J goes for a sleeper, but he's slammed into the corner to break the hold before delivering a spinning heel kick. In the crowd, all of a sudden, is a guy in a baseball uniform, with his face painted up like a baseball, and he has a sign that says, I'm on strike. Yeah, cool. The king tells us that it's Abe Knuckleball Schwartz, Mm -hmm. or better known as the Brooklyn Brawler. Mm -hmm. Brawler. Who we haven't seen since WrestleMania V. Yeah. Episode 28. He's been wearing that makeup since he didn't get hired for the Warriors. Crossbody by Jarrett, only for Mabel to catch him and power slam him down. Making the cover, but Jeff gets his boot on the rope. Double J goes to the outside to confront Oscar, but Mabel follows out to hold Jarrett, which allows Oscar to slap him and Mabel to avalanche Jeff against the ring post. Posted. Back in the ring, Mabel heads up top, coming off with a splash. But Double J moves out of the way and makes the cover for a two count. Jeff then goes for a sunset flip, only for Mabel to stay up and butt drop down. You can't sunset flip a guy that's got 80 pounds on you. Probably more than that. I was being nice. More like 200 pounds. Yeah, I'm not as as hard on him as uh, Jerry Lawler, who earlier in this match said that he moved out of the hood to the farm so he could spray oil and vinegar on the lawn just to graze. <laughs> Which is incredible. Incredible work there, Jerry Lawler. Awesome. But on that butt drop down, Double J moves. Oh, no. Making the cover for the pin. And, and the, the win. win. Mabel looks upset. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of upset. Because Mabel shouldn't lose like that. I mean... It like him. I was being nice in eighty pounds. He said more, obviously, because it's true. But it's one thing for him not to get pulled down on the sunset flip. But if Jarrett moves and his fat ass lands on his tailbone, you know it's hard to get up. True. But still, yeah. I mean, you know. Post match, Mabel chases Jarrett down the aisle and to the back. So maybe we'll see more of these two guys. Dun dun dun. I don't know for certain. Yeah. I smell a surprise. I mean, we'll see more of them at some point, but together, we don't know. All of a sudden, the lights go out. (gasps) And Vince mentions the sleuths are looking for The Undertaker. We see Leslie Nielsen and George Kennedy in the aisle. When all of a sudden, a shadow of The Undertaker is shown behind them. 
But before they turn, the screen raises, and no one's there. I wonder if they got the idea for Dora the Explorer by watching this. Is the Undertaker in front of him? No, it's behind you! <laughs> Where's the mailbag? <laughs> Can you say Apple? We Hold your tongue and say Apple. I do All love right. that the, the little entrance... Jameson is kicking in, I think. I, <laughs> I like having fun with these fuckers. <laughs> I love the, uh, the little entrance that they come through, because it mm-hmm. kind of looks like an action figure blister pack. Yeah. Which is kind of neat. I thought that was uh, so. I was trying to get neat and nice. Figure out what the design of that was supposed to be. If it was them like walking out of a TV, and then you said the. Hey, that's what it made me pack. think of. Was, was like, like okay, a that pack. actually does sound yeah. right. It looks neat though. Like, there the sets have been coming up for quite a while, and this one's a little different. Yeah, it's better than just the sliding doors or the yeah, two do. guys opening the doors for them or whatever it was i do like the, this, the sliding doors but i mean you know this one's got its own little flavor which is nice when a pay-per-view has something memorable like that even if it's just throwing sand castles out there on a, on a beach show for uh, jesse to get a handful of booty but that's a whole different company mcmahon then sends us to footage of the heart brother rivalry we see from Survivor Series after the match, Owen would return to the ring to confront Brett about his elimination. Owen's explanation and challenge on an episode of Superstars, but Brett won't wrestle him. The brothers would patch things up, forming a tag team, but they would lose at the Royal Rumble when Brett wouldn't tag Owen in. So a leg is kicked out from under his leg. A leg is kicked out from under him. No, I'm just using. He, he kicked no. his leg out from under his leg. Owen's words. <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry. You can't rewrite <laughs> history, Michael. <laughs> so, yeah, I can't, and I, and I wouldn't want to. <laughs> Owen with another explanation on an all-American wrestling, saying it felt great. Brett would respond the next week that if he wants a fight, he will give him a fight. We then get WrestleMania, and Owen would come up victorious. But later that night, Brett would win the WWF Championship which would bring Owen out to seethe in frustration. Love a good seethe. Mm-hmm. At the King of the Ring, Jim the Anvil Neidhart would interfere <laughs> to help Brett keep the belt and then help Owen win the tournament. On an episode of Raw during a King's Court, Bruce Hart would be yelling at Owen that he is a disgrace to the family. I think that's a little harsh. On Superstars, Owen would say there is a new reign in the Hart family, and I will become champion. I love the low light for his seething promo there. Yeah. On Sunday Night Slam, Brett responds with how he would treat Owen when he was a little kid, and you're going to cry yourself a river of tears after you lose. Yep, Owen Hart in his crib, like a cage, cry a river of tears. <laughs> it's like it's kind of, uh, you know, funny and uh, smart. We then go to Vince and Lawler, and they join Stu and Helen Hart, along with the entire Hart family. Helen, of course, is worried, while Stu mumbles, The best wrestler, the best wrestler Owen. The King starts yelling at the entire family that they kept Owen down, before going over to Davy Boy Smith. Davy Boy's looking fucking handsome in his weird gear. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen him since Battle Bowl 93. Back in episode 105. Yeah, he's, he's, I guess, you know, maybe he's on the good foot now, but 
we all we all know he left after Brett dragged him uh, to a great match while he was uh, under the weather. <laughs> under the something. Yeah. And the Bulldog hopes it all ends tonight. McMahon then goes to Neidhart, who's sitting behind them, who says this match will show that Owen is the best heart of all. But Bruce chimes in, saying that Anvil is the one who caused the big split. All his fault. Yeah, Bruce says that he's going to make sure that Jim Neidhart does not get involved. Well, I mean, I'd say good luck. Mm -hmm. Bruce, you just, you know, I'm not saying you couldn't probably stretch him, but, you know, toe-to-toe, fist-to-fist, I think Neidhart's got (laughs) you. We then go to the back, and Todd Pettengell is there with Bret Hart. Todd says that Bret is recovering from strep throat, which the hitman says doesn't even matter. I'm going to prove I am better than Owen. I don't hate you. I never got into this thinking that. Jealousy is ugly. But I might hate Neidhart, who started all of this, planting the seeds. We are out of the dungeon. This is a dogfight. But this has to stop. My entire family wants to see it end. Do it for mom. Beat your brother's ass for mom. That's right. Do it for Natty's mom. <laughs> Whatever her name is, I don't remember. Her last name's Neidhart. Mm-hmm. So we get our sixth match. The King of Hearts, Owen Hart, versus Brett, the Hitman Hart, in a cage match for the WWF Championship. Or for Helen Hart's heart. Mm-hmm. No, she's a mother's love is forever. So there are two ways to win. Escape the cage by the door or over the wall and hitting the floor with both feet. All right, so have we seen the crawl out of the cage yet before? No, it's always been... An, an actual I mean, cage I think the only match? other WWF cage match I think we've seen is the Bundy versus no, Hogan. we had... Warrior and Rude at SummerSlam 1990. Oh, that's right. Uh, okay. But that was in the ring, right? Yeah, and War- and Warrior, match, just, but... Warrior just climbed over as well. Okay. I think so, but I'm okay. just trying to remember if Rude ever attempted to crawl out. I don't think they ever did the door before. Yeah, the door stinks on ice. Crawling over stinks too because a cage, in my mind, you bring the cage in when it's a match that needs a finish. It has to have a finish. The whole idea is to keep things out so these two guys can go at it. And the idea that the way to win this is the guy that runs away the fastest, which is like a total like like wimp move. And this is professional wrestling, which is like who's the better man, is so like counterintuitive to the purpose of locking them in the same thing that it drives me nuts. And I'm just want to want to put that out there before we um, have a whole lot of fun here. Take you take us down before we go up. <laughs> Wait. I don't know if you guys feel that way. We have seen the door attempt in WCW. Have WCW we? didn't have that rule. We've, we, so, saw, we saw him try to cut the door open. Yeah, those guys they cut, but WCW didn't have yeah, the escape. The, escape. They yeah, had the, was an actual cage cage. Yeah, yeah. Bill Watts, Ole Anderson, Just, and Ric Flair, none of them would allow yeah. that to happen. Beat each other up in the well, cage. Yeah, they keeps people they out. instead would raise the cage. and. So yeah, that was just that one havoc, I think, where it had that, and that was a dumb The cage angle. was designed to keep people out in WCW. Yeah, because it's yeah. like, this is how we, like, these guys can't fucking get the, like, you know, somebody keeps doing something shitty. People keep getting involved. We need to find out who's the better man to finish this program. 
And so are you saying you don't like the door escapes? I hate the door escape, and I don't like the idea that the way to win is to run away. Because it's like, in it, in realistically, in I this, mean, you have to beat your opponent up before you can run away. Yeah, you yeah. could just hop right up as the bell rings, and he's gonna pull you down. But like, what if you're X Pac, you quick little bastard, you little spider monkey? No one's that quick. No, no one's probably that quick. But because still, it's... I just don't like the idea that you like run, run away. I don't like that. I want a pin. I mean, it's the same way. Why wouldn't a heel champion just show up, bell ring, and then walk to the back every time? And that's why the cage. That's out. why the cage exists, baby. But then he can just run out of the cage. But that's why I'm saying you can't run out of the cage. You shouldn't be able to. But whatever. It's okay. We're still gonna have a whole lot of fun here. I just kind of bothers me. We'll have lots more stuff to bitch about cage matches in the future. Oh, I know. Cage. <laughs> yeah. Like, but with for a cage match, we need blood, baby. Mm-hmm. Don't even bother setting it up. So we've got our blue cage here. And I'm going to give the show back to Matthew. Thank you for the time. So Owen attacks right as the hitman steps into the ring, laying it in with right hands, face plants, and mounted punches in the corner. The King of Hearts continues with European uppercuts and headbutts, but Brett comes back with an atomic drop and a clothesline, only for a rake of the eyes to put Owen back in control. The two are trading shots when the King of Heart attempts to toss the hitman into the cage, but is blocked and reversed into a DDT by Brett. The hitman with a leg drop and he starts to climb the cage, but Owen is up to pull Brett back to the mat and hits an enziguri before starting to climb himself, getting a leg over the wall only for the hitman to bring him down with a back suplex. I mean, that's a way to bring him down. Brett starts crawling for the door only for the King of Hearts to stop him Whip him to the corner, but the hitman comes back with a bulldog. Brett goes for the door again. The back door shuffle. Owen pulls him back again, but then leaps towards the door himself. But Brett stops him and leaps for the door as well, making it halfway out before being dragged back into the ring. I do like that Owen uses his teeth to get out of a a chin lock. (laughs) They do this jumping over each other for the door some more, but never making it out until Hitman delivers an elbow, where he starts climbing the cage, but the King of Heart press slams Brett down to the mat. I gotta give credit to the referee at the door, though, because... He was on that door. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That door would go to shut, and it looked like it was shut, and they'd lunge again, and it was just perfectly timed where he'd yeah. have that door open where they weren't hitting. You've only got one job. That's right. And uh, he, he did it. Owen begins to climb in the corner, and he is all the way over. When Brett grabs him by his hair, dragging him back into the cage, still on the top rope, until a King of Heart kick knocks the hitman down to the mat and follows it up with a drop kick. Owen is over the cage wall once again, and again Brett catches him, with them brawling on top of the ropes when the hitman slams the King of Hearts against the wall, knocking them both down to the mat. Owen goes for a pile driver, but Brett reverses it into a back body drop sending the King of Hearts to the ropes, only for them to knock noggins for a double KO. Owen crawling for the door, but Brett holds onto his ankle and pulling him back in, delivering forearms and elbow drops. The hitman's climbing in the corner, which the King of Heart grabs the boot to stop him, but Brett kicks Owen in the face several times, only for the King of Hearts to keep hold of the boot and pulls him off of the wall, crotching Brett. On the top row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we get we get to see some. There's some gym cam around this time. We see Anvil stand up, 
He's getting scared. Probably. Yeah, Helen cheering when Brett does something. It's obviously that she's <laughs> against. Yeah, aren't you supposed match. to love your the, the youngest one the most? Isn't that typically the I deal? Mean, I don't I'm, know. I'm the baby, so yeah, yeah, you're supposed to. I mean, I'm <laughs> I have a younger sister, and the joke is that my parents like me more, but I don't think that that's true. But the they like you more, yeah. but they love her more. I, yeah, maybe I don't know. That could be true. <laughs> Another attempt at the door by Owen, only to be stopped, and the hitman delivers a headbutt to the gut before ascending the cage wall. But he changes his mind and goes for an elbow drop, which the King of Hearts avoids. Owen Hart, headbutt to the abs. You're smarter than that. The hitman isn't moving at all, so Owen starts climbing, getting all the way to the top. One leg over, when Brett pops up and drags him back into the ring by the hair before press slamming him off the ropes. Now it's the hitman's turn to be stopped on the top of the cage, being brought back to the mat with a Samoan drop. The King of Hearts climb is stopped, but Owen maintains control, trying to throw Brett into the cage, only for it to be blocked and reversed. The hitman is now dragged back into the cage by his hair, where the King of Heart hits a back suplex. Owen with a pile driver and starts climbing, but Brett meets him at the top of the cage, where they slug it out until they both fall to the mat out of exhaustion. It's pretty nasty to pile drive your own brother. And it was a pretty nasty pile driver. I was like, when I did the block and then into the cage, I was like, juice? We're going to get juice? Of course we didn't get juice. I knew in my heart I wasn't going to get juice, but I got excited for a second. Crowd's wild for this. Of course they are. This has been well booked. For an extended amount of time. Yep. I mean, they're going on almost a year of a build on this. Yeah, this is probably one of the best booked things story-wise since, like, the Mega Powers. It really has done well. The hitman immediately starts crawling to the door. But the King of Heart grabs a leg to stop him. But Brett's trying to kick him off and ends up on top for mounted punches. He starts to slither out the door only for Owen to still have hold of the leg to pull him back in. They're brawling in the middle of the ring when the King of Hearts lunges for the door, but he's dragged back to the middle by the hitman, who catapults Owen into the cage wall. Ah, Joe's, 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 Joe's. Brett's crawling to a corner, but he realizes that it's the wrong one, so he turns and makes it to the door, when all of a sudden the King of Hearts leaps towards him to pull him back in. Hard whip to the corner by Owen, but Brett is up first, going for a body slam, only for the King of Hearts to float over and shove the hitman towards the cage, which he ducks, sending Owen into the wall face first. Jokes, jokes, jokes. Brett's knee hits the middle of the cage, so he's limping now. However, he still starts to climb. This isn't like the, this is the big blue, like, hardy cage. Yes. This thing is like made out of rebar. (laughs) Like smooth rebar. King of Hearts is up, only to collapse back to the mat. But ends up making it to his feet in time to stop the hitman. Pulling him back in by the hair. Owen with a spinning heel kick. Makes it halfway over the wall before Brett can stop him. So they brawl on the top rope when the hitman kicks the King of Hearts' hands off the cage sending him flying back down to the mat. Owen pops back up to haul Brett back into the ring, where he hits some European uppercuts, before sending him to the ropes, where they hit heads for another double KO. Ah, I mean, you know. We're getting a Let's Go Brett chant for sure. I love that 
<laughs> Jerry Lawler shits on Brett a little bit. He says, I'd hate to know I had to resort to hair pulls to remain champion. <laughs> it's like, I don't see you keep him off. Like, you know, it's a cage. That's like the one brutal thing you can do in this crawl over type of thing is like, you got to get him by the hair. The King of Heart makes it to the top of the cage, only for Hitman to bring him back in with a superplex, which has Davy Boy and this crowd going crazy Ooh. while they're laid out on the mat. They sell it, and so does the family. <laughs> Slow crawl by Brett to the door, only for Owen to grab him and apply the sharpshooter, screaming about how the belt is going to be his. But the Hitman reverses it and re- into a sharpshooter of his own. Brett releases the hold and starts his climb, only for the King of Heart to lunge at the last second to grab the Hitman by his hair when they both fall from the ropes to the mat. Oh my god. Both men have now made it over the wall. They're on the outside of the cage, but they have a hold of each other. Owen slams Brett's head into the cage, with Brett returning the favor, which forces the King of Hearts to slip and get his leg hooked in the cage, allowing the hitman to drop to the floor for the win. I mean, if you're going to climb out, this is not the worst way to do it. Uh You weren't running away. Mm -hmm. You were going down at the same time. You just got there first. Yeah. all the way. The only other thing that, like, could have happened that I was thinking was, like, what if he slams Owen's head into the cage and then Owen falls and wins, which would have been fucking sick. But I know they weren't putting the belt on Owen. But, I mean, how cool would have that been to just get another match out of these two? (laughs) Like, that would have been, I wouldn't have been mad at that. But I also wasn't mad at this. And it makes sense. I mean, Brett's, Brett's Brett. Owen's not the guy to put the belt on. I'm going to say this right now. Me writing these notes for this doesn't do this match justice. No, not at all. Because it just sounds like... They're going up they, the cage. They're, they're going, going down. They're bringing get, me back down. They're yeah. going up the, they're bringing back down. It's like, the match itself is great. I mean, yeah. that is what it is. But there's so much more intensity than what I can bring in just saying all that. Yeah, it's the crowd reactions, it's the uh, family reactions, it's the two of them. It's like, who are you going to work with better than your brother who is not, you know, your brother, like, Owen Hart's not, like, Ultimate Warrior. He's not, or, like, he's not a guy that's, he's from a wrestling family. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, these two guys know know what the fuck is up, and they get the psychology, like... Yeah, he's the guy that you've been kicking his ass since he was little to the point of you know, where you've mastered not injuring him so you don't get in trouble. Yeah, it's just like, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, like it's really, really good. That's why, I like... Back in the day, you know, he grew up kind of like my little brother. There's 10 years between us, and he's the one that I got into wrestling, and it was this weird thing where he'd be my annoying little brother, and if I'd hit him, he'd cry. If I told him, hey, let's wrestle, I could hit him the same strength or harder, <laughs> yeah bounce right back uh-huh because yeah because you were playing a game and he was and he was like oh yeah like well we're wrestling wrestlers yep. don't cry except so yeah but yeah the caveat that i had at the beginning of the match doesn't really count as much here because this is really good just in general i don't particularly like the way the cage is used and when it when a cage is used this way but like if anybody's gonna do it do this type of cage match well it's probably going to be brett and owen hart post-match Nightheart blindsides the bulldog in the audience with a clothesline from behind 
which takes Diana and Davy Boy over the guardrail. I couldn't believe Diana bumped like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If she I don't bumped. know if she was supposed to be there. Like yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, she had she had a free ticket, uh, but you know, well, here, she wasn't the, supposed here's to be the question. I mean, don't spoil too much. Did they bring Diana into the storyline at that point as well, or was it just Davy Boy? I'm trying to remember. It'd be smart if they did. This was rolling into the start of senior year, so a little less wrestling. Yeah, I didn't pay as much attention as the year went along because there was a lot of other shit going on. Okay, I mean, maybe we'll find out yeah. as we go. It would I, make I'm sense. I'm thinking they may have because they've involved her before. Yeah, that's what the, I was gonna say. It's like, oh, she's been the glue that's held her brother and yeah. her yeah. husband together, and she's a decent promo and a pretty lady, so it helps. Yeah. The anvil starts beating on Brett, choking him with his t-shirt, before tossing him back into the ring. Owen has joined them inside the ring when Neidhart chains the door shut, allowing the King of Hearts and the anvil to beat the holy hell out of the hitman. And anvil, apparently this was the first time he's used a chain or <laughs> it took a him forever to figure it out. Yeah. Bruce and Keith Hart are trying to get in, but it's padlocked. And they all start to try and climb to get in but they keep getting knocked down. The bulldog finally makes it to the top, knocking Owen down and making his way into the ring, only for the King of Hearts and Neidhart to escape back out and down the aisle. I love the like the perfect camera of the lock cut. It's like, oh, yeah. you guys were right here for this. Like, you know, the production typically only gets better and uh, it helps when the show is also good. <laughs> and, uh, I like how in 1994 they were able to find one of those bolt cutters Within just a couple of minutes, as opposed to 10 years, 15 years later, where it takes them like 20 minutes before somebody figures out, that, hey, maybe we should bring one of these things down here and cut this guy off the rope. <laughs> I was just thinking of the, like, there's like a Reigns match within this COVID era that involved a thing. Um, um, a, yeah, it was the Kevin Hart, or Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens. Yeah, yeah, and it took, it took forever. It was funny. Um, it was a weird angle. You gotta keep. If you're if you're a wrestling manager, you should always have a handcuff key mm-hmm. on you. And you know they don't use handcuffs; they use the leg cuffs because there's more length there. Secret wrestling trick. Good eye. Kfay, baby. Kfay. Tom Pettenkell catches up with Owen and Nightheart in the back, saying that they have to tell us what is going on. Owen just yells back that he doesn't owe anyone an explanation, but then proceeds to give us one. <laughs> they turn their backs on me. They're my flesh and blood, but they turn their backs on me. The only one that ever cared about was Brett. I should be the winner. I don't know what the bulldog is doing. He's not my brother. He's not my family. Pettengel then asks Anvil about interfering. And he just says, that's what's going to happen if you get in my way, hitman. How did Brett get in Anvil's way? Yeah. Uh, maybe he's just got. Um, Is he mad? That maybe he's got Brett's a champion, and yeah, he's got FOMO gyms. from from uh, the tag team breaking up. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I mean, that makes, that, make, that makes that so. makes enough sense. Brett or maybe got a singles career. Nightheart got fired a few times. Yeah, so. yeah. and you know, um, Mikhail, if anything, blame Owen because he was your last tag team partner before you got fired the last time. Yeah, I'm sure he... I, I mean, I don't know. I really enjoyed Owen and uh, Coco, but I was going to say maybe Owen would have preferred to be working with Jim, but I'm, I'm a pro-Coco guy. We get an ad for Survivor Series 94 on Thanksgiving Eve. Get ready for some full-body contact, high-speed collisions, and bone-crunching hits. 
And we're doing teams again, so they make some football puns. This year, WWF will provide the stuffing and And the the squash. So does that mean that Bruiser uh, Bedlam uh, baseball uh, McPainted face is going to get squashed (laughs) on the show? Like, where are you going, Bruiser? Bruiser McPainted. Painted face. Something. <laughs> yeah. I want that. Next time I create a wrestler on. Bruiser baseball McPainted face. I love it. Knuckleball Schwartz. That's yeah. what it was. Oh, brawler. Vincent sends us to some footage. We got a full pack, guys. At the Royal Rumble, The Undertaker's placed in a coffin by Yokozuna and nine others. But as they are leaving with him, the Undertaker speaks from the coffin and ascends to the heavens. heavens. I will not rest in peace. That's what he says. And I'm sure he had a pretty good vacation. And it's been a while. I hope so. That was the last time we saw him. Fans around the country would then start reporting seeing The Undertaker oh, I at love the this. butcher shop, mm. on the playground, a sandwich shop, at a fire. In a jewelry store. In a jewelry store. <laughs> I love the idea that like the Undertaker, uh, like Mark Calloway went in there to like buy a wedding ring. <laughs> no, like, we saw the Undertaker here. <laughs> he bought, he bought a pretty hefty carrot. <laughs> <laughs> On an episode of Superstars, Ted DiBiase would make the claim that he was going to be able to bring the Undertaker back. Black which, Magic Ted. I, I'm going to stop right here and say that having Ted DiBiase do this is WWF going oh hey continuity because mm-hmm. Ted DiBiase brought him in brought start. him in the first time it is and they actually say that it, they, I think um, Heenan of course because he's better yeah. not because he's better than everybody else is like well you know he brought him in here and then he went to and then Lawler, he, and then, yeah or yeah Lawler sorry I mean they're both really good at their job at uh, this point yes <laughs> I mean yeah yeah I mean Heenan's like arguably the best but Lawler's not too far behind. But yeah, Lawler points that out because he's done some silly shit like this in Memphis. Two weeks later on another episode of Superstars, Paul Bearer would then appear, only to say that was impossible and call the Million Dollar Man a liar. That's impossible! <laughs> Ted DiBiase is a liar! It's very close to my funk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> DiBiase would then bring out The Undertaker on a Heartbreak Hotel segment, followed by on an episode of Raw, after an Undertaker match, Bearer would come out to try and regain control over the dead man, but the Million Dollar Man shows Undertaker the money to re-divert his attention. We get Paul Bearer in a graveyard, not believing that this is the same Taker as before. My dead man wouldn't do that! He did confronts Ted and his taker on another episode of Raw during a King's Court where Undertaker would start choking Paul. When the lights would flicker, the dongs hit, and Bear is outside of the ring claiming his dead man is back. This past weekend on another episode of Heartbreak Hotel. I mean, there's a reason this is the last match because they really put a lot into it. Taker would make his presence known and challenge Million Dollar Man's Undertaker. So we head to our seventh match. The Undertaker with Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase versus 
The Undertaker with Paul Bearer. Yeah, I was gonna say for the for the the under Faker comes out first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's cool because the like people are leaning in to like try to look and see like if it's the right one and stuff like that. And I will say they did a convincing job to a point. Like they did the tattoos, the like red uh, facial hair. He's not as tall, but like they probably got about as close as you possibly could. It's kind of wild. Like I know which one's which, but they got real. They did. They put in the work. We see Bear and a pair of druids roll a casket down the aisle and to the ring. Pull a new urn out of the casket. As Paul gets in the ring, the lights go off and the urn lights up. He takes the lid off, and there's like the, the spotlight, the strongest like flashlight in that you can get in 1994. In there, it's awesome. And the Undertaker's spirit is released. The dong hits, and the dead man is walking down the aisle boom, to the ring boom, 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 in boom, his purple garb. Purple Taker. Yeah, because the. Uh, I mean, we don't want to give it away, but the Under Faker. He's wearing the earlier gear. Like, when Taker first came in, he had, like, the, gray, the gray, gray and black. And it almost looks like it's the same one because it's kind of cheaper looking. And as the Undertaker continues to, you know, through the years, his gear just looks better. As it should. As Michael has said, we're going to call DiBiase's Undertaker Underfaker yeah, from this point because how else do you talk about it? The Undertaker. You could say Ted DiBiase's or Paul Bearer's Undertaker, but we would be here for an hour. Exactly. Yep. The Underfaker was played by Brian Lee, who will become better known probably as Chains of Disciples of Apocalypse oh. fame later oh, on I in his career. one of the Harris twins. Chains, descendant of Nails. Or not descendant, family member? Disciple. Cousin, secret, special, super secret cousin, super secret second cousin of Nails, Chains. <laughs> <laughs> so the two men get into each other's space with Taker being a foot taller. He's a bit taller. They trade blows until the dead man with a big boot to send Faker to the floor. Million Dollar Man comes onto the apron drawing the attention of Undertaker while Under Faker begins to stalk Bear around ringside until Taker drags him to the apron by the hair. And bringing him into the ring with a vertical suplex. Bringing him into the ring by the hair. A pretty Undertaker thing to do. But the faker sits right up. Underfaker's thrown to the outside again, where the dead man falls out to continue to deliver blows. Faker's on the apron when Undertaker looks to hit some forearms. But Underfaker with the jawbreaker across the top rope. Taker, faker, jawbreaker. I know, it's like the, it's like a, almost like a rubber band slam <laughs> jawbreaker type combo it's a stunner almost faker goes for an old school but he slammed off only to immediately sit up you can't do my move so taker goes for old school himself to knock under faker back down hot shot after a reversed irish whip by faker to take control of the match delivering several blows going for an elbow drop only for the undertaker to avoid Vince McMahon says that the crowd doesn't know what to think because they're very quiet. Uh, but I think maybe they're just bored after Owen and Brett. Like, the excitement of that. Because, like, I'm pretty sure that they 
could tell who was who or had an idea. It's not a it's, it's not super well hidden. They did a pretty good job, like I said, but it's still it's like, well, you know, the Undertaker's yeah, huge. Wait. This is him coming back. We know who we know who's who, but it's kind of weird how not into it the crowd is. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching this stuff as it was happening. You know, the the build up to it and. When they first brought Taker out, or Faker, you know, it took a second because hadn't seen him in several months. You know. Yeah, for sure. But once they had them Next. doing more, yeah, you know, where he actually had to move, then it was like, all right, oh, well, I yeah, that's totally not him. Cause, yeah, and everybody was know, kind of worn Undertaker out. Undertaker doesn't just, you know, he has his specific... He moves movements. like certain people. Yeah. Just like the same way, yeah. like when, yeah. uh, when he jerks his head yeah. quickly one direction, it's like Jason in Friday the 13th, as opposed to when Faker did it, it was, you know, not as, yeah, not as random person just looking over to their right. Yeah, his sit up's not the same. Uh, kind of like when Ric Flair performed as Black Scorpion, you could tell he was trying not to be Ric Flair, but it's like, well, nobody does it like the, that drop knee like yeah. that. Like, it's. If you're questioning it, but then you're like, well, but nobody else moves like that. Even though you can tell he's trying not to be Ric Flair. The dead man goes for a running clothesline, only for the Undertaker to duck, sending Undertaker out to the floor. Taker has his head slammed into the ring post and Posted. still steps, before going back into the ring where Faker continues to lay it in with right hands. But the dead man fires back, only to be caught with a choke slam from Undertaker. But the Undertaker sits up when he goes for the cover. Faker picks Taker up for the tombstone. But again, the dead man sits up as he goes for the cover. I know he takes a while for the cover, but, you know, it's the Undertaker. He moves slow. His, his blood runs cold. Under Faker with another tombstone attempt. But the dead man reverses, hitting one of his own, and following that up with two more tombstone pile drivers of, for the pin... And, and the, the win. win. He hits like three pile drivers in the course of like four minutes, of course, because like I said, the blood runs cold. Post match, Taker looks to go after the million dollar man, but DiBiase just runs off to the back while the druids walk back out to the ring. I like that uh, he calls Vince Man calls them Grim Reapers, and it's like, well, there's just a Grim Reaper. <laughs> you can't pluralize it. It's like the Lone Rangers and Airheads. It's like, what are you talking about? They raise the lid, allowing the dead man to place Faker into the casket, and they roll him away as Undertaker poses while Vince says his goodbyes. But we go to Macho Man, who guarantees that this would be a great night. Until next time. Wait, wait, there's more. And they send it to our super sleuths. Leslie Nielsen and George Kennedy raise the casket lid in the back, and there's nothing inside. But they see a case. The case is closed. A briefcase, in fact. And it's closed. As we fade to black. Ye- ye- yeesh. <laughs> That's the only joke that I, like, was somewhat, like... That's <laughs> so bad. He's like, the case is closed. And, like, uh, Leslie's is like, what? And then he, like, looks over and there's just a briefcase that's closed. It was the only good joke yeah. that they had. It's a shame that and they... it's not a good one. Yeah. I'm not saying this. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shame that Pulp Fiction hadn't uh, happened yet, and they, like, open the case, and then the light shines out, and it's, like, the urn or whatever. That'd been funny. I mean, I, mean, I think it comes Pulp out in 94. Yeah, I don't know. If, yeah, I, mean, I don't know if it came out at this time yet, but... No, I'm sure out. we'll... It's already out? Okay. Sure it is. I mean, I imagine we probably talked about it on one of these shows uh, in our, you know, 
our uh, our openings. I do have a sad note, oh, no. though. This would be the last time we see Randy Savage in the WWF as he would head down south. Oh my gosh. And, uh, you know, one of the best deals you could ever make. The guy that's making big money from Slim Jims and not have to pay him as much. And he... And you still get all the all the advertising from a huge advertising program that he's already getting huge money from. Truly wild shit. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of SummerSlam 1994? Hit and miss, lots of misses, a couple good hits. Um, <laughs> Shane. It wasn't my favorite SummerSlam. I was okay with the... The starting tag match, it set the night off good. Head Shrinkers, Bam Bam, IRS, they can work well together. It was great seeing Alundra have a full-on match that had a real ending. Diesel Razor, I was okay with for the most part, just because Shawn Michaels added a lot of excitement. And then we rolled into Tatanka versus Lex, which was predictable. Jarrett versus Mabel, which didn't really even need to be there. Had a great Owen Brett and then a stinker faker taker match. I don't feel the same way. <laughs> I understand feeling that way, but I think that this show flows really well from beginning to end, with the exception of the Undertaker theme playing for 15 minutes. I think that. You're going gr- to grow to learn that literally Undertaker come his oh, entrances take. Four. I know. But there was like two of them back to back. But, uh, like, and I think that that match, maybe not the most exciting, but I like that Taker sold, gave a lot to the Faker. Like, more than you may have would have expected. Like, he didn't just, you know, they both no sold stuff. They both did a lot of things to each other. I knew who was going to win, blah, blah, blah. But I think overall, the show in general, even the, like, Jared and Mabel was fun, and it was kind of the only one without, like, a big, a big story. Everything, everything seemed to have... It didn't have a big story because they put the match together the week before. Yeah, yeah, but everything else has, like, a big story, and yeah. uh, I think the show flows together really well. Like, I started this show not expecting to watch as much of it. I was like, oh, I'll just get, like, you know, knock 30 minutes off of it, and I'll watch the rest of it tomorrow or whatever. And uh, I turned it on after I watched another show for this show, and I got all the way to the Taker match, and I was like, holy shit, it's, like, fucking 2 o'clock on, a, <laughs> on, like, a Wednesday or some shit. It's like, I need to go to bed. And I saved the Taker match, but I... You know, I was not bored. I maybe kept my interest. Maybe that's why he doesn't hate the Taker Faker match as much because he saved it for the next. That day. Is, that is true. I say actually, I saved it for like four days later. I to yeah, uh, yeah to break kayfabe. I watched it. Uh, you know, this morning. And see, there was an actual point during SummerSlam where I went, Jesus Christ! It's only been forty minutes because it felt like I'd been watching for about two and a half hours. Really, I thought yeah. it, I had a great time watching the show. Maybe I was just in a good mood. Maybe maybe I'm, it's because I watched it right after watching. I started it right after the Too Cold and um, Shane Douglas match, which I really liked, and then same. I was primed for some fun stuff. Me too. 
Really? Yeah. Uh, I guess I was. I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was a fun show. I am going to lean more towards Michael on this one, as I found the show to be really good. I thought it was a blast. Until it's not. The biggest problem this show has, in my opinion, is the placement of the Undertaker match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the the, the length, because the package is really long, the entrance is really long. It's not even that. That doesn't bother me at all. It's that it came after Brett and Owen. Oh, yeah. yeah. It should not be Because there. that crowd is so into Brett and Owen, mm-hmm. there is no way that they are going to be able to... Deal with some goofy shit after they did the family shit that's believable. To match the intensity yeah. from what that was with any other match. Honestly, they should be you, main events on different pay-per-views. It didn't even have to be that. You can literally, if you move the Undertaker match before, in between the Tatanka Luger match and the Mabel Jarrett match. Oh, that's you good. You spread out all of your big matches. That's true. I'm into that. Because... Th- that's what took me out of the match, of that Undertaker match. The crowd was not in it. Mm-hmm. And not if the crowd's not in it, it's hard for me to care for it. It's hard. That's why the COVID era was hard for watching wrestling. Like, there's been good matches, but it's just difficult when there's not, when there's nobody else to, like, share I your mean, feelings. If the crowd's, or if there's no crowd or if the crowd's not in it, it has to be, like, good one of the best matches out there for me to really care that much about it. Yeah. And... We know that the we know the Undertaker is good for his size. And like but he also is working as like mean Mark works different than the Undertaker. But he has yeah. he does have to have the right kind of opponent to have a good match. A guy from Memphis coming in just to basically do the same exact moves as yeah. him is not the guy that's going to help the Undertaker have a great match. Yeah, it's like it's like a Owen Hart versus Owen Hart, which would make no sense at all because it's not supernatural, but it's like a guy that can go and another guy that can go. But that also is silly, but you know, you get a Shawn Michaels and a Bret Hart and you've get, got magic because they're two guys that can go. And then here you've got two guys playing a zombie man. It's like, well, <laughs> what's so exciting about somebody that moves slow and is scary? Because literally, I feel like if you had watched the Undertaker match right after you had watched Brett and Owen, you would be lower on that match. Because I think that's why I am lower on the match. I still don't looking, love it. Looking back at it, I'm like, for what it was... It was about as good as it could have been. It's it's not bad. No, I mean, because it Br- told a good story, it just like and Brian Lee, in the wrong place. I, I'm going to give props to Brian Lee. He, he had good? he had to mimic another wrestler, mm-hmm. and I thought he did a pretty good job. One of the most famous wrestlers of all time. Everybody knows who the fucking Undertaker yes. is. My fucking dad knows who the Undertaker is. And so, you know, for that reason alone, I don't hate that last match. I just wish yeah. they, the placement of it and, would have been different. Yeah. And I think this, it would have been a... Would have been better. I also think it's a more interesting idea on paper than it is in, like, than actually doing it. Because, like, they did it really well. They, like, the urn thing was cool and all that stuff, and they gave it everything that it needed. But, like, it just seems like a more fun idea to write on paper than it does to look at. I mean, so was the, when he died. 
is we'll say that's it, more, it, yeah. it, it, it's more fun written down but then you like look at it and you're like this is holy shit this is the craziest thing I've ever seen and it it's dumb it but is. it works but you know what they did they didn't make it the main event no, that's they did true. not. That's they true. Yeah. No, that's true. Because it was like, oh, shit, what was, was that? And then you get to see a wrestling match. The champion and the taker, or champion and taker, and you know, you had two big names there. This time you had somebody that was dressing up as the Undertaker put yep. into a main event. Also funny that... You had somebody who should have been main eventing with their first ever championship challenge. Yeah. It's also funny that... Your king like, of the ring winner. Yoko was the champion. Like, how many months ago was... Like, what's the time between... That Taker Four took months, off. Three months, or I mean, this is August. He was champion so at months. WrestleMania. Yeah, so it's like, like yeah. Taker's been gone since January. Yeah, so it's been like all, almost. A, it's been almost a year. What would feel like a year if you were a weekly wrestling fan? And uh, it's funny that how far Yoko has fallen since then. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. It's a thought that I had whenever they were showing the package, and I was like, "Damn, that was a while ago." And yeah. we're you know covering it in much quicker time than the time that actually passed. Yep. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. It's time to smark it up. So what are some of the best moments of the show? I really loved the IC match. I thought that it was great and exciting and fun and well-worked. And uh, I thought Peyton's involvement was just enough to not be like, because sometimes you bring a celebrity in and it just kind of gets in the way. And this one was like, just enough and made sense in the thing and sean got to be sean and peyton got to be like all right well this is the thing i should do and he went and did it and paid off in a weird way but like you know he 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 didn't get in the way but he did what he was kind of there to do and sean michaels got in the way which is exactly what he was there to do i agree i love the ic match uh i also really i did love the cage match Oh yeah, it was great. Um, the the two of them together, you know, I'm I'm more nostalgic for the old style cage with the opening door and whatnot because that was my first cage match experience was yeah the for big sure. blue cage with no. you know I was even saying that to myself as I was watching it that uh, I forgot how nice those looked because you could actually see through it's, yeah it's not as like. Uh, arresting as like uh, a red the red cage yeah. where it just kind of like does something weird to your eyes well not even just the red cage you know the, the like the, the like glass chain link like thing. yeah chain link one yeah. two is also a yeah, different this the the blue cage always had this got the bigger squares yeah and the blue is like muddled higher quality look to it as opposed to the chicken wire match or something where yeah it just looked a little cheaper but yeah just the the two of them i mean they Brought the house down. I mean, they got the crowd. They definitely brought the house down. That's for sure. You cannot involved to, and to and, the point that they didn't want to make a peep during that next match. And I would say the crowd was pretty hot throughout the whole show until after that match. Like yep. it, they ramped up and down appropriately for the matches they were seeing. Some of the best moments for me is actually WWF actually did a good job of building storylines into mm-hmm. most of these matches. Yeah. Like like I said, Mabel and Jarrett like. They set that match up on the literally the raw before. Yeah, and it still was not a bad match. And I'm just wondering. It was a nice if little. If there was match. another one that was canceled or something that they had to come up with last second for a replacement. Who knows no, on that? Never. But but I thought all this like like I said all the storylines going into the show I thought were intelligently told stories and they made sense and yeah and it, even in their and silliness it, and at it points gave, they still made sense. It gave a just a, that kind of why we do this show is because yeah. it gives that little bit more of like 
reason. Context, man. Yeah, exactly. How about most disappointed? I said it. I'll skip over the campiness of the whole naked gun It's nonsense. not even campy. That's the problem. It's cringy, fine. Yeah. I mean, as soon, as soon as I saw Leslie Nielsen, I was like, I wasn't expecting much. Mm. But me, then, me but then, either, but, but I also I, kind of expected something. Something but, at all. Uh, you know, actually, as soon as I said that, I was like, but then I expected probably at least one good joke. And not exactly what I would have expected with Leslie Nielsen being there. But Leslie Nielsen's I was funny. Ne- I was never a big naked gun guy. Like, mm. it... Like, I was I mean, like, okay, you know, cool, sure, I'll watch it, but I never was like... Yeah. Airplane, oh, absolutely. Airplane is great. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of the Hot Shots movies. Yeah. I have not watched them in a long Hot time. Hot Shots are great. But as a kid, I was a huge fan of those movies, even though I had not seen I any of the movies the, they were making I love making the Wayne Brothers mm-hmm. ones. Scary movie, mm-hmm. Don't Be a Menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the I just rewatched Don't Be a Menace recently, and it is fun and interesting, but I only laughed like maybe once. Maybe it was just too early for a comedy. I watched it like early in the morning. Uh, yeah, but I mean, and I also had just watched like every John Singleton movie, which is one of the reasons that I watched it. So it's like, oh, if, if these jokes are going to work, now's the time. And I still liked it, but I think I'm more of a like a blank man. <laughs> nice. Some of the other Waynes. Uh, also, Sean Waynes, ridiculously handsome. Uh-huh. What a good looking guy. Where is he at? Very, very funny. Uh, but yeah, it's like, man. He really uh, nailed it. Like of all the Waynes, none of them are um, like uh, ugly people, but uh, he really he got I mean, he got Marlon, all the good genes. I mean, Marlon grew into his own too. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I'm saying. But no. Uh, Literally back to the wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I was talking about no, how hot fine. Sean Wayne was. <laughs> I mean, I know we've talked about it and talked about it, but the Undertaker matches it, it's it's disappointing. Mm-hmm. And see, I was gonna do a sarcastic thing of. For disappointing because I've already rag, you know, ragged on the show enough. But I'm slightly disappointed that Marty Jannetty was used to be the fake taker at Royal Rumble, but then couldn't complete the job <laughs> at SummerSlam. He's too small. <laughs> it would have been. We, it would have been. We, we saw, yeah, we we saw we the difference a guy that was already. A shorter. Yeah, man, but he was. Boots. But he was still taller than. Have him levitate. Uh, but. I watched that show and ended up staying up too late, and I was like, went to work, I was talking to my buddy, and I was like, oh, I watched this uh, wrestling show, because he knows I do this podcast, and I was like, it's like, yeah, I stayed up too late, because the show is um, really good, but I saved the last match, the last match is Undertaker versus Undertaker, and he was just like, what, with a big smile, and I was like, it's like, yeah, I don't know exactly how it goes down, but it sounds like a lot of fun, right? And then when I watched it, I... I was I had a I had a clean palate because yeah. I took some time, but I was well aware of how the crowd felt, and it they didn't propel me into enjoying it more. I mean, this is a Chicago crowd, and a Chicago crowd is usually fire, mm-hmm. and they were fire for Owen and Brett. Mm-hmm. But they also are probably more of a wrestling a town, and this wasn't really like a, a true wrestling match either. So the goofy stuff is another part of it. I mean, but, they were still good for. Jarrett and Mabel. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a wrestling match, but it's fucking Mabel. Barely. It is. It is Mabel. <laughs> That's true. But he's really big, and Jeff Jarrett's really just a same. jerk. Just saying. But yeah, I know. I'm. I'm with you. I. Under, I understand. Uh, but yeah, your changing around of the show makes a whole lot of sense, especially considering that both these 
like main events have huge packages. Mm-hmm. So we have this huge package that's like a year long, so you can set up the ring. Literally, those two matches are the last hour and 20 minutes of the show. Yeah, and then the last match, Taker match, has a huge package that was over the course of, like, the first part of it was, like, eight months ago. But then there's a lot of stuff they did to build up to this in Mm -hmm. a shorter amount of time. But it's still a lot of story to tell and told well. There's no reason that all the setup they needed to do couldn't have been pushed in other ways. Like, you could have... It's like I, I kind of see that it's like oh well we have to set up the cage so we have this long package another long package to take the cage down and then have the taker thing but they could have found the time to do it they could have even taken the Mabel and Jarrett match off completely and that's why the best and, thing they ever did in wrestling is learn how to put a cage in the ceiling and just lower it yeah yep. for sure is it always made going to those shows where you look up and you see a cage and like. I didn't know we were having a cage match. This is fucking awesome. As opposed to back in the day where if you didn't know you had a cage match, then you had to wait like 20 minutes while they came out and set up a cage real fast. How about best performer of the night? I mean, it's Brett Nolan. Yeah. We don't know what it is. Yeah, it is. Like, you could say that, like, uh, Razor and Diesel were impressive for uh, where they were. We know that Bolnicano and Medusa were impressive, but, like, it's fucking Brett Nolan Hart in a cage match I mean, against each other. Like, what are we doing here? I, I didn't say this earlier. Brett Nolan shortlist? Oh, yeah. I mean... Absolutely. Of course. Yeah. Like, I mean, like like you said, it's kind of hard to talk about because it just sounds like, well, they went up the cage, they went down the cage, pulled his hair, uh, they both crawled to the door, but, like, it's more than that because yeah. it's... because these guys know what they're doing. It's not... And you've got the build up for a long amount of time and the package was really good so it's it's different because you have all the you have all the information and you have two guys that are true performers how about most surprising i was i didn't look at the cards so i was just kind of surprised that those two matches were on the show so like that was surprising for me because i didn't look ahead i was like oh cool like this is gonna be fun i guess outside of that I liked Tatanka and Luger. I thought it was a yeah, I decent agree. match. I'm not going to say it was great by any means. No. But what they did surprised me. I will say, honestly, uh, the most surprising thing, you bring that up, is Tatanka going over Lex. Did not expect Tatanka going over Lex. And, you know, just because I was like, oh, I don't really know exactly what we're doing here, but I know someone's I mean, the bad guy. So and I asked I Shane was... if, back in the day, he realized, he realized what was going on. Yeah. Before the match started, did you realize that there was I, probably going to be a good turn? I was turn? favoring the Tatanka turn uh, after, like I said, he was yelling um, sold out one too many times. But uh, I was, still was not sure. At the moment I realized is when he went into the war dance way too early. Oh, uh, really? That was it? it yeah, because he, he wasn't really being beat down by Luger. And then all of a sudden he starts doing the war dance and I'm just like, but you're not... Yeah, he didn't. But you're he didn't, firing up for he's, he's, no reason. You're firing up for like a, a yeah. shoulder block or something. Yeah. Making their way to the ring. It's trivia time. Woo-hoo. So this week the category is the champ is here. The champ is here. The champ is here. I will give you a championship. And a show. 
and you tell me who the champion was at the end of that show. Harley Race. Harley Race has never been the champion at the end of any show we've ever watched. (laughs) (laughs) Five points for a correct answer. Three points if we go to multiple choice. So the show is Clash of the Champions 6. The belt is the NWA United States Tag Team Championship. Oh my Christ. Mm. Holy crap. Shane. I'm just going to go with the first names that popped in my head and say the Midnight Express. That was what popped in my head as well. I hope it's not right. (laughs) The Midnight Express is incorrect. There you go. Is Michael going to take a guess, or is he going to go to multiple choice? go to multiple choice, because that was the first thing that popped in my head. I was like, well, six, that's pretty early. Midnight might be around still. So your choices are Brian Pillman and Z-Man. That was my next guess. Eddie Gilbert and Rick Steiner. The Fantastics, or the Varsity Club of Kevin Sullivan and Steve Williams. Wow. I really don't know what to guess. But we're going to have to buzz in for this one, so we've got... Z-Man and Pillman. We all know how much I love Z-Man. Death and Sullivan. And Sullivan. And then The Fantastics. The Fantastics. And then Gilbert and Steiner. Wow. So this would have been like Steiner doing his uh what was his imaginary this would have been before it was kind of after the ham puppet and before Scott showed up. That, yeah, like that, that six happened or that that happened? Give you me, give me give hints? the answer? Or <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just telling you where uh, Steiner was in I his know, career. I know. Just go with your gut. Uh, well, I mean, you get, oh, do, you I, do I guess first? You, you guess only. You already guessed incorrectly. Oh, it's all you. Okay. Shane will not hit triple digits today. I guess I'll go with one of my favorite undersung wrestlers, Rick Steiner. Rick Steiner and Eddie Gilbert. Is correct. Oh wow! So I couldn't cool. remember them winning the belt. So me neither. I couldn't either. I but I was like, I just, we never saw them win the belts. They vacated them because Steiner went off to do. So we did see them win the belts. Well, they won the belts on the show. Otherwise, no, the question... they did not win the belts on the show. Wait. So the question was, who is it at the end of the show? Right. They were already champions, and they won their match. Oh, okay. So we didn't see them win the belts. We saw them retain the belts. I still hold that. Early Rick Steiner by himself was fucking sick, mm-hmm. and I loved it. And Matt was like, I loved his big dumb promos. Matt didn't agree with me, but I loved, promos loved so it. I loved it. He was so fun. I love his fucking face. Nobody qu- quite looks like they should be on a motorcycle more than fucking Rick Steiner. Yeah. They were the champions coming into the show, and they beat Dan Spivey and Kevin Sullivan to retain at Clash 6. Oh, so Kevin Sullivan took the pin? Uh, I'm not asking you to look it up. I'm just assuming. I'm just making a joke. Because Dan Spivey's big ass. It was when Steiner was feuding with the Varsity Club. Because he basically had Hillman Rotunda, then probably had a match for the TV title, like the next show we watched. But then he joined, is that he left the Varsity Club or he joins the Varsity Club later? He had left the Varsity okay, Club. Okay, okay, that's what it was. was teaming up with Gilbert to yeah, to take on the Varsity Club. Varsity Club was cool. Next week, Fall Brawl 1994. 
Is War Games separate yet? War Games. Oh, yeah. Mm. War Games. We've had, like, one well-taped War Games match. I'm sure there's been good War Games matches, but that was, like, Road Warriors 80s era, probably. The very first one. Yeah, and, like, the matches we watched from those were, like, when they were doing the touring shows and be, like, weird clips that were recorded poorly. You want to take a guess on who's in the War Games match for Fall Brawl? Jesus Christ, I have... We're, we're, we're at a real I mean, turning point think, in WCW. Think, think about in WCW who has been feuding with multiple people in the feud. Is it Dusty, Dustin, who else would be with uh, them? We're going to get Texas you, you, versus Texas. You're never, you're never going to guess their teammates. Okay, yeah, Dusty, Dustin, and then like... Um, versus the stud stable. Stud, yeah, so like Arn. Arn, Funk, Bunk, 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 and Colonel Parker. Uh, Colonel Parker's in the match? Yeah. Oh, well, that's wrong. It's not Ming, it's Parker, which I always thought was weird. That is very weird. But the Rhodes team up with the Nasty Boys. Okay. Because the Nasty Boys are a face tag team. Yeah. I mean, you know, it could be good. Got them on the show. Will it? Tune in next week to find out if... Battle uh, of War Games. if, If the Bunkhouse Buck Dustin Rhodes feud will ever end... Could it possibly end? Could you imagine a world Buck, where it's not going on? Is Buck still alive? It could possibly restart. <laughs> that's we know. That's true. Who knows? AEW's <laughs> fucking wild card. Music from this week's show is the SummerSlam opening theme by Robert Howard. And Undertaker's got some new music called Grim Reaper Ooh. by Jim Johnston. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. You have any questions, comments, concerns? Recipes. We're going to Roanoke, Virginia next week, so that's a place. Hit us up with some of those, and you can always do that on our email at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or on Twitter at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling H I S T O X. We'll talk to you next week.